BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you broadcasting from the offices of The Nation magazine in New York City. And I'm so pleased to have sitting right next to me Katrina Vanden Heuvel, the publisher of The Nation. It's and thrilling to, I'm so pleased you're here. Is that, set is that, up, is set that, up here to do your terrific radio show. I'm so pleased you, you let us use your <laughs> conference room. And it's, what a cool place you've got. You have behind you, I don't, know if you're, uh, I don't know if people can see it, they will at some point, but you have the first, the cover of the very first issue of The Nation, July oh, 6, wow. 1865. Wow. The oldest weekly. And the, the first line, Tom, is one we will not reprise today, but... The week was singularly barren of exciting events. Can you imagine launching a magazine with that buzzy statement? In 1865. In 1865, when in fact there were, you know, coming out of the Civil War and into yeah, Reconstruction. And, and Andrew, Andrew Johnson. There was, was some serious, yeah. I don't know, exciting, but there was tumult as there is today in our Republic. Yeah, well, let's talk about our Republic. I mean, you're at the nerve center here. I look around the offices and you've got all these people sitting yeah. at computers working right. and you've got reporters out in the field and we're going to have a couple of your regular columnists in Great. on the program today. The three big stories I think right now are Whitaker and yeah. it turns out that it's looking more and more like he's kind of a right-wing crazy. I mean, he's, he's one of these Breitbart guys and possibly shutting down the Mueller investigation, right. the midterms that we the just midterms, had. The midterms, yeah. And, and uh, I didn't hear it, but I noticed that on one of the websites I read this morning that, that his rant this morning was particularly deranged. Apparently he was quoting almost verbatim from Breitbart. So I think uh, we're in for a very dangerous time because as Trump feels boxed in mm-hmm. by the midterm outcome, I mean, taking back one house, the house, yeah. offers some constraint on his unfettered power he will do what he said, go into a warlike mode. And I think that's very dangerous. And I think it requires not left or right, but citizens mm. of this country to be even more engaged. I mean, we saw in the midterms what excited me was the level of engagement, the turnout, the passion, the strategy. What we saw in wins, which don't get enough coverage, it seems to me, in the mainstream press. But yeah, yeah we took back the House, but we also governorships, yeah. state, uh, state houses after years of losing, we took um, all, you know, there were all kinds of seats that people don't even think about and young people were vying for them and run for something had 682 candidates and won 300 seats. So there's, there's an engagement, but it, when you come out of an election, you know this, Tom, 
you can't demobilize. Mm. Because voting is the first step on the road to participation. We have recounts going on in some key races, Stacey Abrams in Florida with Andrew Gillum and Nelson. And I think people need to stay focused on that because, again, our system is in such need of radical reform. Yeah. I mean, that voting in this country is still the scandal it is. I mean, the actual infrastructure of voting. Yeah. You've studied this. I don't think this is an accident. I don't think and it's an accident. I think, in fact, that I, wouldn't, I would say after 2000 and the coup that took place, yes. Bush against Gore, that, you, that you, we didn't have an investment in our voting infrastructure, which sounds so unsexy, was a very strategic decision on the part of those who don't want to see more people vote. Yeah. And the voter suppression is targeted, it's well-funded. So I wake up, I have to say, I wake up in the morning with despair and I wake up with fighting spirit. Mm. And I wake up with a sense that this, you know, this country is engaged in ways it hasn't been in a long time. And that the ideas that you've been talking about on your show or we've been writing about in the nation mm. are suddenly not, no longer considered fringe or marginal but are at the center of the debate. So I think that there's, a, a, you know, you think of Medicare for all, free hire public ed, 15 minimum wage, jobs guarantee. These are ideas now in play in important. And these are things that when Bernie, I mean, and Bernie let's, Sanders, let's give Bernie credit for this. He, he brought all of these things to national prominence and he was explicitly, repeatedly, particularly on national mocked. television media, yeah, I was talking to someone. I was talking to someone this morning. We were talking about climate crisis, which is also at the center of the debate in important ways. One of the first presidential debates, CBS's John Dickerson asked the candidates, Bernie, Hillary. I think O'Malley was still in. What's the major national security crisis? Bernie said climate crisis, global warming. John Dickerson laughed, laughed. Wow. I mean, and I think that will not. Ha that may happen, but we're in a different. I think Bernie Sanders moved the dial, but not just Bernie Sanders, the millions of people who supported him and those who had built these ideas from the bottom up. And Bernie had them in his DNA. And what he did was speak to thousands of people at rallies around this country and in the media and refused to be delegitimized. Yeah. And it led people around this country, think of not so much you or me, but people who came to rallies in towns where maybe they were considered a little marginal and they heard a presidential candidate speak the way he did there was it was a lifeline it was a sense i'm not crazy these are mainstream ideas in many ways i think that it's going to take a bold inclusive multiracial solidarity populism to blunt begin to blunt and tackle the ethno reactionary right wing populism yeah. which trump is mastering and driving and hijacking the Republican Party with it's much more complicated than a traditional Republican president. I, I think it absolutely is. In my show yesterday, I opened it with the question, is Trump our first Confederate president? Mm. And I didn't mean that glibly. Um, the, the, the values of the Confederacy, white, white supremacy, supremacy um, uh, and patriarchy, Racist um, nationalism. Yeah, white nationalism. Yeah. Uh, a system of labor that uh, at that time, I mean, it was brutal enslavement. Indentured, but, 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 but indentured kind of. But that, that survives in our prison system, yeah. which is increasingly becoming a profit center and yeah. privatized. And in many ways, it, it survives not in a way that you would call slavery, but in a way that you could call wage slavery or yes, something. Absolutely. I don't want to minimize slavery, you know, because it's, like, no, it's like Holocaust, you know. But what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I come back again. I mean, I think what we're witnessing, you picking up on the Confederate presidency, is a revival of a harder-edged white supremacist Southern strategy. Yeah. And for your, for your listeners, Southern strategy was driving the wedge issues to really drive race and racism yeah, into a politics. Nixon, Nixon Buchanan, uh, Kevin Phillips. Mm. Um, and I think to counter that Southern strategy demands, again, a kind of multiracial building of a coalition that speaks to very different values. But there's no question that Trump, and it's not just Trump, Tom, you know this, it's the forces of Trumpism mm -hmm. that are part of this resurgence of a 21st century Confederacy. Though I wouldn't simply root it in that experience because what's striking is as you look around globally, there's a resurgence of this ethno-reactionary populism. The Confederate experience very seared into the American experience, but there is a global phenomenon that we're witnessing, this, so one has to look deeply. Me. I think, you know, Orban, Erdogan, Duterte. We need to look at the sources. We need to look at the all, roots. How do we address it? How do we address it? There's a reason that there's an ascendancy of strong men yeah. in these times. Yeah, and I want to continue that yeah. conversation. I think it's a really important one. Katrina Vanden Heuvel is with us. To be yeah. glib about it, the springtime for strong men. I think yeah. it's imperative that we look at the roots. And the roots are racialized. There is um, a kind of volk to use, mm. you know, a, a land, sovereignty, nationalism of the worst kind. But there's also a sense of people being displaced, being left behind, of an economy that has worked for the elite, not for them. And I think it's important to try to speak to some of those people to try and take back the noise from a Donald Trump or those like a Duterte or Orban. It's very complicated, but one thing we're trying to do at The Nation, and I know Bernie Sanders at the end of this month is convening a kind of gathering to begin to build a left international. You gotta build, you gotta counter something with something. Mm -hmm. There is a right wing international, and I think to find a way to gather the forces around the world which see a different way forward, and to put on offer an alternative, and not just a no, but what is our yes, mm -hmm. is a beginning, and he's having People from Podemos, the Spanish left party, Yanis Varoufakis, part of Syriza in Greece, mm -hmm. Labour Party. Uh, I was just meeting with someone who's going to be part of the new Lopez Obrador government in Mexico, which some, you know, oh, which is exciting. And I think Jeremy Corbyn can't go to the Bernie meeting because he's going to Obrador's inaugural mm -hmm. gathering. So I ju I'm just saying, I think we need, and the nation is committed through its journalism and maybe events to thinking hard about how you rebuild a global progressive left that has at its root very different principles that could counter the it's, ascendancy. Internationally yes. and historically, there have been two groups that have been characterized as the left. There was the old communists, right. Right, the Soviet Union and China, et cetera. Vietnam still is. And then there was the democratic socialism of Northern Europe. And, and there was the non-aligned movement, to be fair. The countries who were not caught in the thrall of the Soviet Union or mm, China yeah. and weren't certainly caught in the thrall of unfettered predatory capitalism of the United States. But you're right, the Nordic countries, the social democratic forces in Europe, but I would argue also in Asia and Africa, the non-aligned movement yeah. was an important one. I agree. One. But where I was going with that is that in retrospect, it appears that the, quote, communist movement really wasn't a movement of the left. It was really an authoritarian movement. 
under the guise of the left. Yes, we'll give you a job, we'll give yeah. you a home, we'll give you education, we'll give you all that free stuff yeah. that supposedly comes from the left, no, and then we will rule with an iron fist and destroy the press. That's not the left. No, and I think to confuse it with the left has become a right-wing project today. It's a major And I trouble. think a new generation, which we've seen the polls, you've seen them, Tom, a new generation which grew up in the wreckage, the ruinous wreckage of the financial crisis, has identified itself more as democratic socialist, as did Bernie Sanders. I think there's a power to that, a real lived experience, but I think it requires a lot of public education to speak to other generations, which sadly often do associate socialism with the Soviet Union, or as Fox tells us every night, Venezuela. We had a wonderful story by Kate Aronoff about the Council of Economic Advisors. Did you see this about two weeks ago? Where they were so frightened by socialism that they did a 60-page report, essentially an analysis of how Venezuela has failed, and that is socialism. I mean, wow. so there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But democratic socialism among younger people is a force to be reckoned with. Let me step back for a moment, though, because we've been talking about left-wing internationalism. Mm -hmm. But I want to bring it home to the insurgency we're seeing in this country. Yeah. And it comes off of, you know, democratic socialists for America and the growth they've seen. But I think, you know, a lot of the media after this midterm Oh, you know, progressives, they didn't do that well, and let's write them off. I think that's wrong. I think we're seeing the beginnings of a powerful insurgency of new candidates, new voices, new independent electoral power structures, small donors who are sick of the big donors rigging the rules of the game. And, you know, there are these, it's not just DSA. I mean, you have the kind of older groups, Working Families Party, People's Action, you have Indivisible, you have Democracy for America. You have extraordinary groups on the ground like Georgia Organizing Project, uh, Lancaster Stands Up. I mean, I think the building out of this not-sexy-term infrastructure will redefine our politics mm -hmm. in important ways. I'm excited by the um, left, diverse, uh, passionate women who mm -hmm. are going to be the, more than 100 women and a younger generation. Your listeners know about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm -hmm. but also Ayanna Presley. Deb Haaland, uh, Johanna Hayes, and Rashida Tlaib and Elon Omar. I mean, they will come, by the way, and bring a new dimension to the uh, idea of war and peace because they're interested in the world to come back to that. I mean, mm -hmm. AOC, as we call her here, she did her interview for the DSA endorsement at this table. Wow. We lent them the offices. I mean, wow. we're independent, but she yeah. was here. Yeah. Um, but she has a peace plank in, hmm. in her platform and understands that endless war and this crazy defense budget rob resources needed to rebuild our own country. Rashida Tlaib, Palestinian, Ilan Omar, Somali, yeah. two Muslim women, yeah. they are engaged in the world, as is Ro Khanna, who you have mm -hmm. on your program. Yeah, he's every other he, His grandfather marched with Gandhi, was in prison with Gandhi. I think he comes I out... I didn't know that. Yeah, he comes... I mean, what interests me about Ro is that I really think there's an anti-colonial history there that informs his interest in restraint and anti-intervention and building an alternative kind of I'm going to have engagement to have, you know, with the world. He comes on yeah. every other week no, and takes calls his for grandfather. Hour. Yeah. And 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 that's I had no idea. So he's an interesting there so I take some heart in this the beginnings of an insurgency and I resist very mightily postmortems that it's not happening. And then there're the my colleague John Nichols who mm -hmm. you know and is going to be on the show today. I mean, I love the fact that we took back the governorships 
more than the governorships, but certainly of the states which arguably gave Trump the election, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And yet we're seeing, we're seeing, uh, 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 the the way that Erdogan and the way that Orban and David Leonhardt did a great piece on this the other day in the New York Times, um, seized power was first they stacked the courts. Yeah. So that when they began behaving in ways that were unconstitutional, the courts just turned turned the other cheek. And, and Mitch McConnell's aggressively doing that. I see Brett Kavanaugh as part of that. And it concerns me tremendously that, that the, court, the courts, the, 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 the last resort that we have historically yeah. turned to, particularly with judicial review and judicial supremacy, are, in, are in the, in the, increasingly in the hands of a, of, of a theocratic right. No, I, yeah. I think you're right. The Senate, which we haven't talked about, is also an anti-democratic institution the way it's constituted. I think that the progressive left needs to do some radical thinking and putting on offer radical thoughts, and I mean going to the root. Behind you on the wall is from 1937. The nation was uh, divided, but half the nation supported Franklin Roosevelt's court reform program, as I call it. Mm -hmm. Another half opposed his court packing. I think the left needs to do some tough thinking about putting out there new ideas for reform of the courts, maybe term limits. Um, I have a book coming out on that next fall. And the Senate needs to be thought, I mean, how it was originally constituted is anti-democratic. But I think there are a set of rules that govern our system. Simple ones like ensuring easy access to voting, the right to vote. Mm -hmm. What we saw in Florida, Amendment 4 was exciting. The uh, Florida Voting Restoration Act giving 1.4 Floridians um, the right to vote. But as John and I have talked about, Nichols, people incarcerated should have the right to vote. There should be a set of democracy reforms that are not my eyes glaze over, but are linked to movements in motion, which Mm -hmm. care and understand what these mean for their constituents, for people, for their issues. But the courts are... I mean, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg yesterday, breaking her ribs, I mean, you just... It's frightening. And the Kavanaugh, that went down so in such raw... You're so right, Mitch McConnell. It's raw, brutal power Mm -hmm. to achieve objectives. And we saw that with the Merrick Garland, the way that was handled. So we need to do some tough thinking and some radical reform. We have just a little more than a minute left. Okay. Um, what's in the nation right now, the Nation magazine? Well, you know, we went to press just the day, the, the day of the election. So we have mm. three very smart analyses about um, the, the midterms. But the cover story is by the woman who won the Nobel Peace Prize a year ago, Beatrice Finn, mm. who's chair of the International Committee to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And there's her remarkable remarks, part of the Jonathan Shell lecture series, and as well a conversation she did with Eric Schlosser, who's written a terrific book on command and control and nuclear weapons. It reminds us of the peril um, of nuclear weapons, but it also reminds us of the possibility that we find a way to bring together the energy of the climate movement with a new nuclear uh, movement. Because the peril is very great, Tom, and I think it is, as she writes, it's a feminist issue too. So it's about a feminist foreign policy and nuclear weapons. That's the cover, unusual at this time, uh, but we closed the morning post midterm. That's 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 remarkable. I mean, so, so. But she's a force, and I care deeply about reviving an anti-nuke movement, and I do think combining it with the energy of climate crisis movement, the climate movement, which Bill McKibben and others have built up, would be a way to go. Yeah. In fact, we're, we've got a, a new movie that we're debuting 
in Norway, the uh -huh. Norwegian Parliament is a conference January 5th in Oslo, and uh, I'll be there, and they're broadcasting our movie, HBO funded it, and Leo's producing it, and uh, on the inside of the, of the dome, of the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're going to see the movie. But, That's exciting. Uh, Tina Vandenhoevel, thank you so thank much. You. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tom Steyer is on the line with us. Tom has done so much. He's a philanthropist, activist, environmentalist, founder of Next Gen America and Need to Impeach, needtoimpeach.com. You can tweet him at Tom Steyer, T-O-M-S-T-E-Y-E-R. Tom, we were just talking a minute ago about the success that Need to Impeach had in getting people out to vote. You want to quickly recap that? Well, what I was saying, Tom, is just that we're over 6.2 million signatories, and we checked the voter file, and about only a third of them vote normally in midterms. So what we said was right. we're going to try and make sure that at least three-quarters of them, maybe 80% of them vote. So we did a huge effort within our active list to get people to turn out. And the biggest part of it was getting 80,000 volunteers from our list to send handwritten postcards to other people on our list in swing congressional districts to ask them please to vote. And I'll just tell you one quick story, uh -huh. Tom. I think on Monday... I spoke to a 92-year-old lady named Mary Rose Brown from Iowa Falls, Iowa, 92 years old, sent out a thousand handwritten postcards, said to me, it's something wow. I can do. I sent out 700 of them in the Des Moines area where there was a contested uh, congressional seat, which the Democrats won. And so we have a 92-year-old lady who asked me, if we don't turn this around, what's going to happen to our children and grandchildren? And she wrote a thousand handwritten postcards. It turned out an extra two million people, really. And we're so proud of that. And, and we're so, so proud of them and the work they did. And so you, Tom Steyer, might be, uh, you and your organization and your 80,000 volunteers might be the secret sauce that pushed a lot of Democrats over the top in these congressional elections. Well, the other thing that's true, Tom, is we organized through Next Gen America the largest youth voter mobilization in American history this year. And we mm -hmm. organized by congressional district to get people between the ages of 18 and 35 to turn out. And even though turnout was up all across the age spectrum, it was by far the biggest boost in terms of the 18 to 35, which is the largest age cohort in America. And we were on 420 yeah. college campuses. We sent out 9 million texts. We were all over social media. And, you know, we feel as if that was also a place where we were targeting the incredible boost in young people who had been overlooked 
in the political context, who voted at half the rate of other American citizens, but who are the most progressive age group in America and the most um, diverse age group in America. So they not only came out almost at presidential levels, they came out at the highest level. 18 to 29-year-olds came out at the highest level ever since 18-year-olds were allowed to vote in 1971. And the spread between Democrats and Republicans in this age group was over 30%, two to one D to R. So that was a gigantic factor in terms of what happened on Tuesday. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Let's talk about impeachment for a moment. I've had this conversation now on the air with a couple of Democratic officials, some fairly senior ones, and off the air in private with a few people in the Democratic Party and elected officials. And what I'm hearing from the Democrats is that if the Mueller, if you look back at what happened with Nixon, when Archibald Cox laid down the evidence, it was so compelling, it was so overwhelming that Barry Goldwater went to the White House and sat down with Richard Nixon and said, sir, we will impeach you if you don't step down. And the Republicans were on board as well as the Democrats. It was not viewed as a partisan thing. And Nixon stepped down. And so, number one, people are saying, let's wait for the Mueller report. And if it's as damning as that was back in the day, now, I'm of the opinion, frankly, that if Nixon had had Fox News and right-wing hate radio, he would have stayed in <laughs> office. But, but uh, I'm serious. If it's that compelling, then it'll organically happen, right? But if it's not that compelling, you know, you and I agree. This guy has committed so many crimes already that he is, you know, there are legitimate articles of impeachment. But the Democratic Party is saying, if we go down that road, you know, when the Republicans did that to Bill Clinton, it helped the Democrats. And we don't want to empower Trump. We would rather be focusing on health care, on infrastructure and jobs, and on the culture of corruption in Washington, D.C. That's the three-legged stool that they're standing on going forward. What are your thoughts on all that? Uh, so let's talk about what's going to happen in the real world here for a second, Tom. The only yeah. way that this guy gets impeached and removed from office is if the American people insist on it. You know, all those Republicans in 1974 didn't suddenly discover a conscience due to Archibald Cox or uh, the missing tapes. The American people flipped on the president, and they basically sent a message, get rid of him or we'll get rid of you. And the Republicans decided Mm. that they'd rather get rid of Nixon than get thrown out of office themselves. So to me, that's why we're a grassroots organization. We're organizing young people. We're doing a petition drive. We're organizing signatures to empower the voice of the American people. So to us, the whole question here is, what do the American people insist on? That's my first point. Second point. If I may. So to your first point, it sounds like what I was suggesting was kind of a top-down thing. Let's rely on our politicians. And what you're saying is, no, no, it was bottom-up before, and we're going to do a bottom-up this time. Absolutely. That's what we, we okay, always thank you. believe in that. So that's my okay. first point. My second point is... Sorry, I interrupted you. I don't know. I, I remember what it was. I don't believe it ever pays to hide the most important truth. And I don't believe it ever pays yeah. to appease blackmailers or terrorists. Because you think you're making a concession and then you're done, but no concession is ever the last concession with a blackmailer. So you think, okay, yeah. we'll pay him 100 bucks. And the next time he needs a thousand bucks, he's like, Tom, you know, I'm a thousand bucks short and I'm going to get it from you or I'm going to go out there. You give him a thousand bucks and the next week he's back for three thousand. So on important matters of morality, you have to stand up because, you know, there's an old saying, 
not one penny for tribute, a millions for defense, meaning we'll stand up and fight right. forever, but we're not going to bow down to anybody. And that's my feeling on this, which is a year ago we said, this is only going to get worse. If you let him get away with this stuff, he will do worse things. He basically tried to spike the Mueller investigation and vowed war on oversight of him that is completely part of the Constitution. War on the Constitution. That's what he did. So he escalated dramatic. So I don't think that makes sense. We have to take the stands that are important when they're important and do the right thing. Yeah. The argument that we should emphasize health infrastructure and corruption is just a theoretical argument because they're not going to pass anything on those things. Those are just conversations. Impeachment is what we can actually do. Amen. Tom Steyer, needtoimpeach.com is the website. Thank you, Tom. And Barb in Duval, Washington. Hey, Barb. Barb, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Tom. I uh, wanted to call in and say in this era when so many people make disparaging remarks about millennials and their supposed lack of involvement, I just encourage everybody to be encouraging and welcoming to the millennials. I followed your advice, Tom, and became involved in my local Democratic Party, and I had to give them a little bit of a tug last night because we had an executive board meeting, and we had a millennial there who wants to be involved in our board as a young Democrat, and there was still comments in the room about, you know, wisecracks about millennials not being involved, and I just want to point out to people that they're there, that they're helping to organize, and they're, they're really paying attention. I agree. Barb, thank you. Very well said, and that's, that's great news. I've never endorsed a weight loss product, but that was before my brilliant wife, Louise, had such a great experience with Ridgizone. So good that she shared it with my producer, Sean. Sean, in your own words, talk about what you love most about Ridgizone. I've been frustrated for years, struggling with yo-yo dieting. I was really excited when I saw the results Louise had with Ridgizone. She looks amazing. I also like the fact that Ridgizone is based on university research that found a molecule that eases appetite and cravings so you eat less. Plus, Ridgizone is an FDA-accepted product designed to boost levels of that molecule along with your metabolism so you stop craving the wrong foods and burn calories faster. I'm excited to get my appetite and cravings under control so I can lose weight before the holidays. Stay tuned. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Ridgizone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's tryriduzone.com. Tryriduzone.com. We're broadcasting from the offices of The Nation magazine in New York City. And uh, on the line with us is John Nichols, the national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine. He's also the author of the new book, Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. The Nation's website, of course, is thenation.com. You can tweet John Nichols at Nichols Uprising. John, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. It has been. I'm honored to be with you, my friend. It is great to have you on. We need to, we need to talk more often. I'm curious your thoughts on what's going on. You, you live in Wisconsin. It's, your, it's mm-hmm. your home state. You know Wisconsin politics better than anybody I know. Uh, Scott Walker got thrown out. I understand that they are preparing to do, unless I'm mixing my states up, uh, what, they, what they did in, was it North Carolina, where yeah. as the incoming Democratic governor came in, they stripped him of the legislature, stripped that office of a whole bunch of powers that it had before he took office. Are they going to do that to, is it Tony Evers, the guy who beat, uh, who beat Scott Walker? Am I remembering right? 
your memory is very good on about a thousand fronts. It's Ebers, not Evers. Um, and uh, Evers, I only okay, correct you. I only correct you because you want to be on our side of that pronunciation. The president got it wrong when he came to campaign for Scott Walker, and so we are huh. we we make the pronunciation central to our explanation here. It is Tony Ebers, and he won by thirty thousand votes. Uh, not a landslide, but a solid victory. Uh, and remarkably, uh, his victory came at the end of, a, of an intense campaign. Uh, and not only was Tony Evers elected, but so too was his running mate, Mandela Barnes, the first African-American lieutenant governor, a new attorney general, Josh Call, a great civil rights, voting rights activist, uh, a new state treasurer, uh, Sarah Godlewski, state, Secretary of State Doug Paul was reelected. Senator Tammy Baldwin was elected for the first time since 1982, Tom. Democrats won every constitutional office and the Senate seat at the same time, same election. How about the Secretary of State, the, the person that's who runs the Doug elections? LaFollette. That's Doug LaFollette, and he's a, he's a Democrat, progressive Democrat. He's, is he the heir to, is he the grandson or great-grandson? No, of, he's of, a great of fighting Bob. It's a, it's a little bit, it's a little Close uh, enough. distant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right, the name helps. He always runs ahead of the yeah. rest of the ticket. Um, yeah. And so anyway, here's the big deal. Um, there's no question uh, what the voters said on, on Tuesday. They gave a clear indication, shifting all of the statewide contests, that they want a new direction for Wisconsin. And mm. unfortunately, because our legislature is so overwhelmingly and radically gerrymandered, Republicans retain control of the state assembly and the state senate evers immediately mm. said as a longtime superintendent of public instruction that he wanted to work with them that he has worked with them he's ready to go their response the response from the speaker of the state assembly was to say oh we suddenly realize the governorship is too powerful it's got too much authority and so we are thinking of using the lame duck session to change the powers of the governorship of wisconsin it is a. It really has sent shockwaves through the state because I do know, as you correctly say, that something like this happened in North Carolina. But this is completely outside the character of historic Wisconsin politics by any measure. And um, so, there's people are really kind of everybody's on edge now. We're seeing whether they're actually going to try this. And I have to tell you, there's some question about whether Walker himself would go along with it. Because I, I want to assure you, the reaction has been so negative that if Scott mm. Walker, as an outgoing governor, were to sign off on changes in, in powers that he himself accumulated, uh, I think he would, he already got beat, I think he would beat himself well into the future. But if his goal is to take a job as a lobbyist for Coke Industries for $2 million a year and, uh -huh. uh, you know, and retire at the age of, of 60, uh, a multimillionaire and, uh, you know, with a fortune to will to his children, uh, you know, he couldn't give a damn, right? Ah, but this is the subtlety of Scott Walker. And you may be right. You know, I can't get in his head and I've battled him now, as you well know, often on your show for many years and been quite a critic yeah. of him. But my sense of Scott Walker is that he's obsessed with politics. He loves electoral politics. I think it was why he was such a mm -hmm. miserable governor, because he put uh, political ambitions above uh, the day-to-day -day of governing. And, and so I believe 
that he has long-term ambition. Uh, he's a young man, just 50. And uh, so... So you think he's, he I, wants to run for the Senate at some point in the future or something like that? Right. Oh, Senate or governor again. Uh, we have had a tradition in Wisconsin, people coming back and running for governor again. So I'm, I don't want to belabor <laughs> Walker, per se, but what I do want to tell you is that people here in Wisconsin are really ready to fight against this. And I was at a, at a rally last evening on the steps of the Capitol. It was a rally regarding the Department of Justice and what has happened with Jeff Sessions and Whitaker and, and all that. But yeah. many of the speakers addressed what was going on inside the Capitol, including Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, who said, you know, yeah, we got these problems in Washington, but what, what they're talking about here in Wisconsin is should be of perhaps not equal concern, but parallel concern, uh, because it is a real threat to the basic premises of democracy. Yeah. Specifically, what do they intend to do? You're talking about dialing back the powers of the governor. What? How? Where? Very good question. Robin Voss, the Speaker of the State Assembly, and Scott Fitzgerald, the leader of the state, to operate very much in the dark, very secretive. Uh, Fitzgerald has said, oh, no, no, we're not talking about doing anything major. We might just change some of the appointment powers for the Economic Development Commission and things like that. They've made it very narrow in their definition. Mm -hmm. uh, but the truth of the matter is that once you get into a special session, uh, they have a long history of packing what are proposed, what are presented as very uh, minor, innocuous uh, changes with all sorts of radical shifts. Remember, Scott Walker himself, when he did Act 10, which is the law that assaulted labor rights in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. that was a 133-page proposal, supposedly just to close the budget gap. And within it were dozens of proposals and and they shifted powers they you know strengthened the governorship in all sorts of ways they also had all sorts of real poison pills for unions many of which were never even discussed and so hmm. in this circumstance what you have to look at i would argue is this uh three things dialing back the governor's authority to make appointments to state boards commissions uh cabinet you know sub-level cabinet posts the governor right now has a lot of ability to make appointments. Those appointments would allow Tony Evers to really change the direction of state government. And that's a big deal because Walker filled those posts often with very partisan players. The thing to understand about Evers is he's a good government guy. He is very, very passionate about filling those posts with scientists at the Department of Natural Resources and with experts in ethics that you know, like the other you know, groups that oversee ethics. The you know oversight. I mean? Yeah. Right. That, he, that's, that's, that's pretty radical stuff, John. I know you it's know, crazy. I mean, you know, seriously, bringing scientists in to oversee, you know, the environment and, and the things that have to do with science. My friend, just to let you understand this, why that may, you're right. We should, you know, kind of mock it a little bit. But one of the biggest applause lines of Tony Evers on the campaign, on the campaign trail mm. is we're bringing science back to Wisconsin. Because under the Walker wow. administration, they barred discussion of climate change in agencies that dealt with climate change, or at least dealt with, you know, land use and other issues that might in some ways relate to it. Um, so right. this is a big deal. Who gets appointed, how appointments take place. 
There's a lot of power there. There's also, frankly, a, a lot of authority that the governor has as regards interpretation of bills, interpretation of things. And the main thing that you want here is, I, I can assure you, I've covered these people closely. Tony Evers, if you ever had a guy who was a good government guy who was willing to sit down with Republicans and say, yeah, maybe we should change that, he's the one. And so hmm. the, the deal here is, if they want to make changes, let them wait till January when the new governor is sworn in. They can talk about you know these issues and sort them out. My deep fear, mm -hmm. my deep fear, is that they will attempt to radically disempower him, especially on appointments, perhaps in key areas, and then keep their people in positions of authority to continue to advance their policies. Or so Evers will run an administration, but he'll be surrounded by Republican toadies left over from the Walker administration that he can't get rid of because they're going to strip his power to do that. Is that, is that, that the, in a nature. nutshell what you're saying, John? That's the threat. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. And as things develop, keep an eye, you know, stay in touch with, with uh, Sean and me, John, and, and uh, I'd like to ha have you come back and keep us up to date on all of this. Plus, you know, we, one of these days we've got to get into a conversation about national politics as well. Uh, John on. Nichols. There, there, there sure is. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you. Tom Hartman here with you on the line with us is our old friend Joe Madison, friend of the show. He is the host of the Joe Madison Show, weekdays 6 to 10 a.m. on Sirius XM channel 126. He's a civil and human rights activist. JoeMadison.com, spelled just the way it sounds, is his website. And you can tweet him at MadisonSiriusXM. Joe, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you. It's great having you with us. So I'm in New York right now doing the show from the studios at The Nation magazine. Here in New York last night, Times Square was so clogged, it basically shut down traffic in the center of town with these protests in support of Robert Mueller. I understand you were in the midst of something very similar in Washington, D.C. Can you tell us about it? Absolutely. The group was at MoveOn.org, and along with probably scores of other organizations that pulled this off, Lafayette Square, which is directly across the street from the White House, uh, was packed. I mean, absolutely packed from square, from corner to uh, corner. You know, you, ought to, you should know this, uh, Tom, that they don't allow demonstrations now in front of the White House. It used to be there on Pennsylvania Avenue. Now they've moved them over to Lafayette Square. But that did not diminish the enthusiasm. And then uh, I, I was on the uh, uh, phone texting Elijah Cummings, and he then said in the city of Baltimore, uh, there, there was almost a thousand people that uh, showed up there. And we should also point out, Tom, that I was in Lafayette Square in downtown Washington, D.C., but the suburbs of Washington, D.C., Silver Spring and other suburbs, they had huge crowds. So the young people really used the social media and think about this, pulled it together in less than 12 hours in less than 12 hours i interviewed the young man who is uh the washington director for moveon.org and he was giving me all the information about how quickly this all came together yeah 
Uh, it's really remarkable. Joe, I'm, you know, in our last conversation, I think it was last week or the week before, we were talking about a movement, not a moment. Uh, it seems to me like the movement is here and it's going to stick around for a while. Is that your sense? Well, oh, I, I think uh, I think yes. But, but remember what I said, what, what qualifies a, a movement, and that is sacrifice. Um, and, mm. and young people and others have got to understand that this is going to require sacrifice. Now, people say, well, what are you going to sacrifice? That's up to the individual. Um, you know, it, it may be their time, it might be their money, it might be their energy, it, who knows? And, and as, this, as this movement keeps growing, uh, we're all going to be asked to sacrifice an awful lot. And now what we have to do, all of us, is not allow uh, us to be divided by race and, and age and and, 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 and and I would even say partisanship, because you now have uh, Flake and uh, 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 what is the other senator, his friend, is it Combs, um, uh, who have uh, introduced bills to protect Mueller, and that bill should come up in the Senate uh, in, in, uh, on Tuesday, because they've already filed the bill of and and this, as somebody said last night, Tom, this is not a partisan issue. This isn't about partisanship. This is about what is right, uh, and that yeah. is to let Mueller finish, and and we're right there at the finish line, and let's find out what he has and and, and go forward. Yeah, yeah. What are you, what are you hearing uh, on your show as the major issues that people want the Democratic Party to hit the ground running with in January when they're Oh, sporting? easily. That, that's easy. That's easy. Number one, health care. Right there at the top. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Uh, infrastructure. And then number three on, on my show would be to... Uh, to uh, uh, to correct what the Supreme Court did to the Voting Rights Act, the so-called pre-clearance mm -hmm. part, I believe. That's what they, that's yeah. what's at the top. Health care, uh, infrastructure, because that means jobs. That means improving, uh, our, our communities, roads and rails and airports. And then, and then, of course, right at the top is, is, um, uh, is, uh, uh the, the issue of the Voting Rights Act. And when you see what's going on in Florida right now and in Georgia uh, and all these other voter suppression uh, efforts that were put in place, one, automatically after the Supreme Court ruled uh, years ago, and, and then what certainly happened right after President Obama got elected, uh, these, these mm -hmm. suppre suppressive uh, measures went into effect almost immediately, and, uh, yeah. and and so I think those are the top issues. John Roberts uh, weirdly wrote that this is a very different America than it was in 1965, and racism is a thing of the past, and therefore we no longer need the you know this legislation that that passed the Senate with 99 to nothing, as I recall, you know, unanimous vote or damn near. Uh, or maybe it was 98 to 2. I, you, you probably know. I, uh, uh, correct I don't know the exact thing. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. It was near, yeah, it was nearly unanimous. Um, I'm, you know, everything I'm seeing 
tells me that we haven't changed much at all. I mean, you know, we, we might have elected a black president and, and a lot of people thought, okay, that's it, you know, uh, we've won and, and it kind of went back to sleep and that brought us 2010. But, uh, you know, Trump was still out there with his birtherism stuff and I, I'm sure you know what Michelle Obama wrote about that in her book that uh, right. what danger he put her and her family in and in the in the final two minutes here i'm curious your thoughts on the state of all that right now. well look, no no look let, let, let me just make it very simple as my grandfather used to tell me tom joseph just put it where the goats can get it in plain language in other words take it <laughs> to the root yeah uh and, and and that is look jim crow still exists it, it, we don't count how many bubbles are in a bar of soap or how many jelly beans are in a jar or poll taxes. What we have now is a more, the sophisticated cousin of Jim Crow, James Crow Esquire Jr. And that's all these suppression uh, laws are. They're, they're just James Crow dressed up in a pinstripe suit. It's it ha- to have the same exact effect. And that is to suppress the vote, to make it difficult. That's what our, the, our grandfathers had to go through. And that's what the, these young people are going through now. And so Roberts was absolutely wrong. And matter of fact, those in the Republican Party know that uh, they, uh, tr- they in- introduce laws to suppress that vote. As I said, most of these voter suppression laws didn't even have a problem. They didn't start until after they saw this huge turnout related to President Obama's uh, uh, campaign and eventual election. So just tell your audience, it's very simple. It's not Jim Crow. But it is certainly James Crow Esquire Jr. And the impact is still the same. Yeah, and all the same amount of effort and thought and legal and everything else going into it. Joe Madison, you can hear his show 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM channel 126. JoeMadison.com is the website. Madison Sirius XM, the Twitter handle. Thank you, Joe. All right, and have a great this weekend. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Thank you, Joe. You too. And uh, look forward to uh, hopefully I'd see you next week. I'm going to be in town. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool. And meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know, helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now. And I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do that. And 
and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. Tom Hartman here with you, broadcasting from the offices of The Nation magazine in New York City. I'm here in New York because I met Adam McKay years ago when he and I were both on Bill Maher. And he was like, oh, I've listened to your show for years. I love it. And I was like, you know, I love your movies. And I think The Big Short had just come out at that time. And, you know, we've sort of kept in touch over the years. I sent him a note about six months ago saying, you know, this new movie Vice you're doing just looks spectacular. And he sent me back a note saying, wow, you got to come to the private screening here in New York City. And I can't tell you a lot about the movie just because that wouldn't be appropriate. I mean, they don't want movie reviews until the movie's actually out and it's not quite done. But my God, this thing just took my breath away. It is the story of Dick Cheney and the story of the man who almost single-handedly, along with some help from Antonin Scalia, dismantled or began the dismantlement of democracy in America. And when this movie, Vice, I'm telling you, get ready. It's going to come out around Christmas time. And when this movie comes out, it's going to blow your socks off. Chris Hayes was there last night. In fact, he did a Q&A with Adam afterwards. And my old friend Sam Cedar was there. And Sam and I went, uh, they had a reception at a restaurant down the street. And Sam and I sat and talked for quite a while. And his show is growing, you know, Majority Report. He's doing it. It's uh, available as a podcast and, and it's live on YouTube. He's just doing great, too. So anyhow, that's the update on what's going on here and why I'm here and what I'm doing in New York City. And let's pick up your phone calls. Dion in Round Lake, Illinois. Hey, Dion, what's on your mind today? Tom, the Democrats, they want a lot of seats for the House. And I don't think that they're mm-hmm. going to go after subpoenas right away because... I think they got leverage to get Trump to pass legislation in their favor. Would you agree with that? I think that they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Trump knows that if the Democrats come to him with a reasonable infrastructure bill, which will keep the economy from collapsing, if they come to him with a reasonable fix to the Affordable Care Act, that, quote, protects pre-existing conditions now that the Republican Party has officially embraced that, that it would be political suicide to blow it up, ignore it, veto it, or whatever. And also, while Trump can bluster and blither all he wants, he doesn't, at the end of the day, necessarily control Mitch McConnell in the Senate. And so I'm not so concerned, Dion. I don't think that the Democrats are facing an either-or choice. The committees, the appropriate committees, you know, oversight, intelligence in particular, whichever committee handles tax stuff, it's got a kind of multi-word name, they should be looking into things that have to do with Trump. I mean, you've got, we have a guy in the White House who has committed crimes apparently through his whole entire life, you know, the Trump crime family. And so, you know, I think we're going to see something happen. Unless the donors of the Democrats get in the way and the establishment Democrat. I'm not so concerned about that. I am really not. Dion, thanks for the call. I think it's a new day. I really do. I can't overstate 
how important Bernie Sanders's primary was, which is not to say or even take a position on Bernie going to 2020, but what he did in that primary by taking these topics that literally were being laughed about by many elected Democrats and certainly by the news media, the global climate change, $15 minimum wage, the right of unions, Medicare for all, these core issues the Bernie campaigned on are actually where America is at. Katrina and I were talking about Bernie's radical ideas. Every single one of those ideas is the law in Canada, in Sweden, in Denmark, in Norway, in France, in Germany, in Finland, in Spain. It was the law in Italy and Greece. Now they've been you know, hit with the so-called austerity, but it works. This is good stuff. Paul in Lucerne, California. Hey, Paul, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Hey, Tom, we're talking about naming Confederate streets after Confederate generals. You know, Robert E. Lee yeah. was against that. He said that all it would do is just drag it on. It'd take longer for the country I agree. to heal. And it'd be a permanent He wrote a long letter about it. We fact. don't need that. Yeah, he did. Those Confederate generals in Statuary Hall. That's they, these are the traitors. I mean, they don't have statues. They don't have statues to Hitler in the German parliament, in the Reichstag. Uh, Jeffrey in Everett, Washington. Hey, Jeffrey, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Appreciate everything that you do for us. The question that I have, and it's a fear, with what happened with Jim Acosta, Press Secretary, um, the whole bit, removing his um, security clearance and, and all that, my worry is that it's eventually going to start trickling down to you and Amy and Stephanie and all of the people that really do give us the news that we need to hear. Is there any concern on your part about him finally coming back and just going, the speech needs to stop? We, I, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. And if that would happen, what's what's next? Am I making sense? I think, he, yeah, you are. And and I've thought about this, <laughs> given you're talking about my job here, uh, or my work, my now 15-year life's work. I suspect that we are, relatively speaking, small enough. I'm not sure what Amy's audience is. Our audience is around 5 million. I'm guessing that we're small enough that they just figure, okay, we'll let them go, and that way we can say, oh, yeah, there's liberals on the air. We're not, you know, this isn't Nazi Germany. We haven't shut down the press like Hitler did in 33, or really did in 34. I mean, that was the, the closing of the door, absolutely. That said, they are focusing on CNN, although Trump did lash out at NBC yesterday, too. But CNN, weren't they acquired by AT&T recently? But in any case, CNN is just, you know, that's all they've got is that little news station on cable TV. And whether they are going to be able to withstand the slings and arrows that Trump may throw at them, I don't know. But I think that that's their principal strategy, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, thanks a lot for the call. Dana in High Point, North Carolina. Hey, Dana, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. We are in a constitutional crisis. The appointment of Whitaker is on its face obstruction of justice, because we all know that the heart of obstruction is intent, and the intent is clear. There's no other reason he would have appointed this guy. And it's also illegal. Obstruct. And it's the illegal. Constitution says that the senior cabinet officers have to be approved by the Senate, and Whitaker has not been approved by the Senate. He has so no I business in that job. that what is happening right now is that he is extracting the entire Mueller files from Mueller, and he's going to turn those right over to Trump, which is going to be a horrible disaster with unimaginable consequences. And what I propose, and I hope to God this is happening, is that Mueller refuses. He should refuse, which will force Whitaker and Trump 
to fire him, which will then exacerbate the whole thing. I think he should refuse and negotiate to turn him over to Rod Rosenstein and through Rod to the Congress to avoid this imminent disaster. Yeah. I'm a little more sanguine about this whole process. I think that, actually, I could argue both sides of it. On the one hand, even if they were to fire Mueller tomorrow, right, or today, and just shut the whole thing down, fire him, say, okay, you're out of here. You got Robert Mueller and, what, 14, 15 major investigators and senior lawyers and litigators who are working with him. All of them could be subpoenaed. Yeah, right. Yeah, in fact, most of them are Republicans. But but they could be subpoenaed by House committees, you know, particularly intelligence because of the Russia aspect of this and whatever committee is in charge of, you know, foreign policy and could simply be on the record, you know, say, you know, okay, in private session, we'll talk about the secret stuff. In public session, though, what'd you learn? You know, is Trump a criminal? Did he collude with Russia? And Mueller could just lay it out. At this point in time, now that the Democrats control the House of Representatives, In my opinion, there's nothing that Trump can do to stop that. That's the upside note. The downside note is really where you began, Dana, in your call, and and you're so right, that the Constitution requires that the Secretary of State, uh, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Interior, the Secretary of Homeland Security, all of these guys, and obviously the head of the Justice Department, the Attorney General's office, and their number two people, which would be Rosenstein now, that all of them, they do not have the power to even ask somebody to get them a cup of coffee until they've been confirmed by the Senate. And you've got Whitaker walking in there saying, I'm in charge, I'm taking over. And that's a violation of the Constitution. And if there's not a major lawsuit that takes this to the Supreme Court really fast, I would be amazed. And that's when we're going to find out if our democracy is going to survive, Dana, because if they take that to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, ah, the president can do what he wants, you know, which we know Brett Kavanaugh will say. Go ahead. The Solicitor General yeah, would have he, been appointed. He's confirmed by the Senate. If Trump did not yeah. want to appoint, let Rod Rosenstein head it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Solicitor General, by the way, is a little creepy himself. I mean, you know, but but he's not a right wing, you know, Breitbart nutball like Whitaker appears to be. Dana, thanks for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We are really and truly at an inflection point right now for American democracy. And hang on to your seats. It's going to get wild. Jim in Los Angeles. Jim, you got the last call of the day. What's up? Bernie should announce that he's running for president now, so all of his speeches have to be covered. And a ticket of Beto and Kamala Harris would be unbeatable for the Democratic Socialists. Jim, thanks a lot for the call. I'm sorry we're out of time. Thanks so much for being with us today. I'll be back in Portland tomorrow and back on the air on Monday from our Portland studio. Again, thanks to the nation, thenation.com today, propublica.org yesterday for lending me their conference rooms to do this show from and really appreciate it. And thank you for being with us. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.